The biggest narrative of this NFL season lasted all of four plays. It's Wednesday, September 13th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The Jets, the NFL, and the major media networks are left to ask what now following Aaron Rodgers' season-ending injury on his fourth play as a New York Jet. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports newsletter co-author Eric Fisher. Welcome, Eric. Hello. So first remind me, are you a Jets fan? I am not. I am not. I'm from upstate New York, but I I grew up a Steelers fan and uh, still root for the Steelers. All right. Well, lucky you in this case. So I know a lot uh, of Jets fans and they're hurting, (laughs) but they've always been hurting. I I feel for them. I try to understand their pain and it's tough. I, you know, my, my, my guys have six Super Bowl rings, so I can't relate. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, you, you did pretty well in the sports, sports fandom lottery. Um, all right, so let's get to those those Jets fans and the Jets themselves and what they're hurting about. So give us a sense of the fallout here. Of, maybe we can start with the Jets, I guess. What's what's happening in This their is world? huge that, you know, you've got Aaron Rodgers, a four-time league MVP, certain Hall of Famer, you know, comes to the, comes to the Jets in this trade. Uh, and the business of the NFL basically pivoted in that direction, that the Jets – you know, despite all the struggles they've had in recent years, became the media darlings, uh, put on, you know, scheduled for six primetime games, four more in late afternoon Sunday windows, you know, part of the first Black Friday game coming up on Amazon. The list goes on and on that this was all predicated on seeing one of the big stars of the league, Aaron Rodgers, in these major uh, television showcases. And now that's not going to happen. Some of that will be flexed out of. There are a lot of different rules applying to different games in different windows at different parts of the season. I won't complicate the listeners with every single piece of those rules. Uh, but the short answer is those games that I just rattled off, some portion of them probably will be flexed out of their original slots. Yeah, right. So, and yeah, I guess that's that's why they have flex scheduling is because these things happen. Um, the, the league and- looks really smart now because it was exactly to protect against this kind of downside risk. This is a huge example of downside downside risk, but this is exactly the kind of thing that was contemplated as those rules were first put in and then refined. Yeah. And, you know, Rodgers, I don't think we'd call him the best player in the NFL right now, but I think he's the most attention getting, at least he had since his oh, move yeah. to the Jets. That's fair. Yeah. And so this is, you know, he was the curiosity. It was one of those things where if he's bad, it's still a story. But if he's just not on the field, then the the story kind of ends right there. Yeah. And so there's there's a lot of, uh, you know, as we're taping this, there's a lot of phone calls and a lot of sort of strategizing and planning sort of what now. And it's sort of tough to kind of figure out exactly what's going to happen that, yes, that big star marquee figure is gone. But this Jet team could still be pretty good, as we saw. They still won that game against Buffalo, and you know, r- really uh, competitive defense, and you, you know, real ball hawking uh, uh, squad there. And, and you know, with the way that division is shaking out, the Jets could still be noisemakers. This is still a major market, and so you know, there's just not a lot of clear answers here. That that again, that major figure is gone, but this could still be a decent Jet team. Yeah, and obviously this is a major what if, but if they can, you know, put together a good season, suddenly they're the feel-good story of the league as opposed to, uh, you know, the bringing in the big star that has no connection to the market. Um, So Rodgers signed a two-year $75 million deal uh, over the summer with the Jets. Are they on the hook for that whole thing? 
it really kind of there's 75 million guaranteed that it's actually three years 112 and a half million once everything is included in bonuses and such there's 75 million of guaranteed money uh but it really kind of depends on what the long-term future is does he walk away does he retire he's 39 now going to turn 40 before the end of the year uh you know most of us are not Tom Brady and can defy father time here that and he's going to be dealing with a major injury with a long term uh, recovery cycle here. And so how much money sort of gets left on the table is really dependent on whether or not he comes back to play in 2024 and beyond. Yeah, I mean, at this point, open question, if if that was his last play, um, you know, I, I, I imagine he'll come back, but he, he's he's not. Yeah, he's not young. Um on a very different note, the WNBA uh, starting its playoffs tonight. Uh, what's been the big story of the league this year from the business side? Really just all uh, arrows continuing to point north. This has been a really compelling story for the league over multiple years, really, that they've done a lot of work across a number of fronts as it relates to sponsorship, media, team ownership, facilities. The list goes on and on. And there was just comprehensive growth with this league once again as it relates to overall revenue and attendance and sponsorship and and again uh, on the facility and ownership front as well it's really just been a consistent and remarkable growth story for this league and i give a lot of credit to the commissioner kathy engelbert and her staff that you know, there was you know a lot of uh, obstacles to overcome and they've done that in a very steady methodical fashion over a long period of time played the long game showed a lot of patience and a lot of the uh, fruits and results are, are now bearing now yeah absolutely eric fisher thanks so much for joining us on the show always a pleasure just yesterday i said on the show i'm all for the nfl doing weird technology infused promotions but could they please be less creepy than the ai robots who attended the chargers dolphins game on sunday and just like that, my prayers have been answered. For the Falcons-Jaguars game on week four, which is taking place in London at Wembley Stadium at 9.30 a.m. Eastern, you will have two options for how to watch. You can watch the game, or you can watch the Toy Story version. This will be toy football players doing all the things that the actual NFL players are doing, somehow animated and rendered in real time. And instead of playing at Wembley, they'll be playing in Andy's room, Andy being the kid from Toy Story, and the Toy Story characters will be watching and cheering. This is perhaps the next chapter in the kid-focused enhanced broadcast phenomenon following the Nickelodeon broadcast that started in 2021. By the way, those worked well enough that this year there will be a Nickelodeon altcast for the Super Bowl. So you'll be able to watch the big game with SpongeBob popping up here and there and green slime spewing out of the end zone if you so choose. As for the Toy Story game, this is clearly the test run. If this works, this is going to be a thing every year. Monday's game was obviously a nightmare scenario for Jets fans, but in a much less significant way, it was also a nightmare scenario for a certain group of Packers fans. A bar in Wisconsin is helping fans process the departure of Aaron Rodgers by offering free drinks while the Jets are playing, but only if the Jets lose. So you already know how this one played out. Rodgers got injured on his first ever drive as a Jet, and the bargoers were not necessarily unhappy about that because they felt pretty confident that they were going to be drinking for free that night. So they drank like they were drinking for free. But the Jets scored late to force OT, and then the feel-good story of the game for everyone outside that bar, Jets undrafted rookie Xavier Gibson walks it off with a 65-yard punt return. The crowd at MetLife Stadium goes wild, and the crowd at the bar suddenly has a very big tap to pay. 
Up next, I spoke to Mike Tolan, who is one of those people who you might not know him, but you know his work. He was an executive producer of The Last Dance docuseries, and he's helped create numerous other sports movies and shows, including The Captain about Derek Jeter, and ones about Shaquille O'Neal and Hank Aaron. He also co-created Slam Ball, which recently wrapped up its season. We had a great conversation, and that's coming up next. All right, I'm joined now by filmmaker Mike Tolan. Welcome, Mike. Good to be here. Great to have you. So you've produced sports films on baseball, basketball, football, golf. Uh, Sometimes there's a big name, like with The Last Dance, sometimes not. What sets off your spidey sense when you're looking for a story worthy of a film or a series? Well, you know, you try to engage on a couple of levels, and I refer to them as church and state. So church is, you know, your heart, your soul, your values, the things that really matter to you, Um, identifying characters or storylines or something that um, is um, you can paint in grays, not black and white. Um, There can be differing opinions. There can be different perspectives. It could provoke a conversation. Um, It has some resonance and allows you to reflect on something a little bit more than what's on the surface, what's on in the script, you know, what's presented um, on the screen. Um, state is like something that is commercial enough to actually be bought, to be licensed, to be financed, to reach a screen so that people can share it. Um, Church and State, The Last Dance, obviously on every level, um, was something that I pursued for a long time and spent a great deal of energy um, bringing to bear. And of course, I'm very grateful for the remarkable response. Um, something at the opposite end of the spectrum, just in thinking in terms of recent work, um, we did a film called Stand uh, that aired on Showtime about Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, previously Chris Jackson, um, extraordinary basketball player. We build it, again, trying to deal with the state portion of the uh, of, of the journey and the challenge. Um, we build it as the guy who was Steph before Steph and Colin before Colin. By that we met, he was an incredible long-range shooter, played at LSU with Shaquille and um, Stanley Roberts and um, wasn't as high profile, but man, he could shoot the lights out. And if you talk to a guy like Dame Lillard, he'd say, that was the guy that I watched. I watched his moves. I watched his, his quickness. I watched how he got a shot off. I watched the distance that he shot from, and he was sort of an inspiration for Dame. Um, the Colin part was that, you know, he ultimately um, was given the autobiography of Malcolm X by his college coach, Dale Brown, and uh, converted to Islam and um, was doing kind of his own silent prayer during the national anthem at his NBA games. He's playing for the Denver um, Nuggets. And um, ultimately, the NBA suspended him. And he came back, but he was traded, and he had kind of a rocky road. And, you know, in, in in the opinion of many people that we talked to, he was blackballed by the NBA. In any case, his his career spiraled downward uh, in no small part because of him expressing himself. So, you know, that's a film that we never expected to, you know, get picked up, but we went in with passion. um, And I think people saw a guy who was misunderstood, underappreciated, and it had a tremendous response, not as widespread, of course, as the last dance or the captain or the redeem team. Um, but very, very gratifying to tell the story of somebody, um, and really have an impact on his life and allow him to have a platform and 
uh, to emerge from relative obscurity. Um, so, you know, you, you, uh, you find different pleasures and, and different rewards from different journeys. Yeah. And, you know, just talking to people in your world and as artists generally, I think often there's this, this balance often like just literally alternating projects between ones that are going to make money most likely, you know, are, are, you know, more of the, you know, you can bank them pretty reliably yeah. and the, the ones where you find them and you're like, you know what, I don't know if this is going to take off, but let's just give it a try. Well, yeah. So, uh, we're making a film right now about George Raveling. Do you know who that is? I don't. Yeah, so there you go. Hopefully you will soon. Um, George Raveling was a coach for five different college basketball teams. He coached two different Olympics teams, and he was one of the founders of Nike Basketball. And he is in every Hall of Fame that's basketball-related that you can think of, and he is revered by such an incredibly widespread group of influential leaders. Um when you pick up the phone and you say you're doing a film on George Raveling, Michael Jordan says yes, Jay Wright says yes, Doc Rivers says yes, Phil Knight says yes, and I can go on and on and on um, because they want to pay homage to a man who's now 86 years old and has influenced people way beyond the basketball court, way beyond his X's and O's. Um, he started in Philly. He played for Villanova. He coached for Villanova. When I was growing up, he was recruiting, as I told him, he was recruiting my first sports heroes for the Villanova teams when I was a kid, rooting for uh, for the Big Five in, in Philadelphia. And so we bonded over that, and um, we're making a film now. Um, we haven't brought it to market yet. We're going to make a sizzle real soon. We, we have some prospective buyers who we think can, can really appreciate uh, the depth of this man and his achievements. So Stay tuned. I hope. I hope the next time somebody asks you, you go, "Yeah, what an interesting <laughs> cat! Yeah, yeah. such a cool yeah. film." <laughs> um, I, I've got other things I want to get to. I'm just curious when you've got a film, you know, you're into it. You've got some, you know, some names that have said yes along the way. How hard is it to then find um, you know, a, a Showtime or a Netflix or a someone to to buy it? Always different. It's a great question. And I wish there was a science to it. You know, it's, I always say it's art, not science. Um, yeah, maybe there's a playbook, but it gets rewritten every time out. I, I will tell you, uh, I was already, I've already said with stand, we just said, well, we're going to lead with our passion and hope. And we were pleasantly surprised. There are so many that I don't really want to talk about that. I thought were slam dunks that nobody wanted to buy. Um, it's really hard now to cut through the clutter, so to speak. Um, people want big names. People want splashy stories. People want things that, you know, will make headlines. Um, you know, I was watching with a friend the other night. I stumbled into something I couldn't, I would never have chosen to watch. It was, it was the Netflix compilation of the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case. And like, and of course, um, I'm watching this thing and it's kind of riveting because it's, you know, watching a train wreck and guess what's the highest rated show on Netflix at this time that. So, okay. But that's not, that's not what I do. That's not what I aspire to do. I can appreciate it on some level, but, um, I still, it's for me personally, I can't sell something that I don't really believe in that I wouldn't want to go on the journey of making and ultimately would love to watch and have it be seen. So again, you know, uh, people say, how do you make your choices? You know, passion first, because, you know, beyond the passion, you're going to need a lot of persistence and patience. Um, 
and perseverance. Um, and uh, if I ever if I ever can tell you, you know, the secret to uh, to why something and and by the way, I've asked. You know, oftentimes we'll say, "How come this came up short?" Um, and you never know how genuine the response is. Um, it's uh, it, you know, it's 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 sometimes it's the time, it's budgets, it's personal interest on the other side. So again, just keep going in. Um, lean with the passion and, um, you know, get enough yeses to sustain. I've been doing this for a lot of years and I'm very grateful to still be at it. So hopping to a more current and very different topic, you were one of the people who helped bring back Slam Ball from its years of hibernation. Um, how, how does Slam Ball fit into sort of these various elements that you've been talking about in terms of something that you think is going to work? Um, I, well, it's funny cause we're talking about passion and I, and I have to say that was it, although it was somebody else's passion before it was mine. There's a guy named Mason Gordon who we hired in the last century. Wow. I love when I say that <laughs> it sounds like prehistoric times. Right. But I believe it was 1999. And when people say, you know, what made you hire him? Mm, I say we had a backyard basketball game and he was a really good player and he elevated the level of play in the backyard. Um, and beside that, you know, he was eager, enthusiastic, energetic. Um, he was just a PA and he was working his way up the ladder. And one day he came and sat on my couch with a napkin, um, with a drawing, couldn't figure quite what it was representing, but it turned out to be the primitive renderings of a slam ball court. There's a rectangle. It's a basketball court. These lines here, these are where the trampolines go. I'm like, what? Okay. So Mace, um, I'm gonna go make a movie and I'll be back in three months and, uh, uh, you know, a little, a little condescending pat on the shoulder. And off I went, I think it was summer catch. Um, first movie I directed and came back and he was still on the couch with the drawing. And, um, I loved Mason then. I always loved Mason. Um, you know, kind of there's a brotherhood. It's been about 25 years now that we've been together. And um, I said, all right, let's take a shot. And we spent a little bit of money and we got a few players and we built a rickety little slice of a slam ball court in a warehouse and did a demo. And serendipity, um, a guy I knew from the Nickelodeon shows we had done had started as the head of Spike TV and thought this would be a really cool signature sport for his fledgling network. So he bought Spike and he put it on. Um, so the good news was, wow, we sold it. We get to make this thing. We get to recruit these players. We get to invent the rules. Something really cool for a guy who grew up loving sports to like invent a sport and just like make up the rules on the fly. The not so good news was that it was really packaged as a TV show and not an authentic sport. And, um, you know, it's been documented pretty heavily, but um, we had our couple year run. We wandered in the wilderness. We sold the rights to China. We came back with one year in 2008 under the auspices of IMG. Um, and it's been 15 years. Um, but sure enough, under um, during the pandemic, social media uh you know people are people are shut in and actually the slam ball courts that were built in china were f centered in wuhan <laughs> of all places and so um nobody was playing slam ball nobody was going to slam ball games but people were watching slam ball highlights on social media and hashtag bring back slam ball started accumulating hundreds of millions of views and we listened and um you know to to make a arduous 
long, arduous journey sound simple. We raised some money. We made a media deal. We recruited the players. We set up in Vegas, and we just completed the tournament. Um, we made a two-year deal with ESPN, and so we're having conversations now about um, what we're going to do between the just completed season and next summer. And uh, it's exciting because there's a lot of incoming. There's lots of athletes who want to play it, and I think we're going to elevate the game. There's lots of other media entities that are interested in the rights. Um, talking to ESPN and the Disney company who've made a real commitment to us, we we're just talking about how do we grow the game, how do we increase the fan engagement, do we put courts in various spots in the country to have, you know, like permanent slam ball centers where kids can start playing and athletes can start training and coaches can start strategizing and, you know, franchises and regional rights. And it's, uh, it's great to have options and we're considering, you know, all kinds of different avenues and excited to be moving to the next steps. Um, I know you've answered these questions a million times, but I do have a couple last dance questions I wanted to throw at you before we're done. Um, what made that series so compelling for me was how candid everyone was. Pippin comes to mind especially, but I feel like everyone was was giving pretty straight answers about you know the egos involved and who they had problems with and what was going on. Um, was that a challenge to, to get everyone to kind of speak their mind and speak truthfully, or did that just kind of happen? Uh, both. It's a challenge to round up 108 different interviews, but it just kind of happened because once Michael said yes, everybody wanted to be invited to the party. And very few people said no or were, didn't make themselves available. I guess the mailman, Carl Malone, didn't have such great memories of those last couple of series. So um, we got John Stockton to represent the Jazz. Um, it's funny, I'll put in another plug for the George Raveling doc. We were with Michael Jordan um, at the Grove this past weekend because Michael says point blank, there's no Nike for Michael Jordan without George Raveling. He was the one who um, made Michael take it seriously. He was the reason that he took that meeting. Um, He's the reason that ultimately that he even considered it. Um, so we went and we talked to him and, and um I hadn't seen him for a minute, so I, you know, we sort of did a little last dance postmortem, and he feels great about it. Um, he feels like he was at a place in his life where he was ready to be open, um, and he was open. And we talked about how funny it was that everybody said, "Oh, Michael, Michael Jordan controlled the content, and Michael Jordan edited this." We, we both laughed because he didn't. He just plain didn't. He said what he wanted to say, and he trusted us, and he let the chips fall. Uh, you know, for that we. We'll, be forever grateful was it what did he have reservations about doing the project well he had reservations for 20 years um because you know adam silver and um michael thompson excuse me andy thompson who was um i think i think, I think the way it went it was that andy thompson you know went to adam and said we got to document this 97 98 season which was looking like the last season of the Bulls who'd already won five titles. Uh, and Adam went to Michael and said, um, you know you can trust us. We're NBA Entertainment. This is when Adam was running NBA Entertainment way before he was the commissioner of the league. Um, if you decide you don't want it to be seen, you'll have the greatest collection of home movies ever. Um, and so we'll just hold it unless and until you agree. Well, many, many people before me kind of, you know, peeked behind the curtain and, <laughs> and made their bid and Michael just wasn't ready. And, um, I feel like I was 
really lucky to be in the right place at the right time. It was 20 years later. He had a new family who'd never seen him play. You know, I kind of made a pitch based on legacy and based on, hey, every day people come into my office wearing your shoes who've never seen you play, Michael, it's it's time. Um, I think he was just feeling it and he was ready to, to be as open as he ultimately was. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Mike Tolan, thanks so much for joining us on the show. My pleasure. That is it for today. If you have questions about the sports world, the show itself, anything on your mind, send us an email at today at frontofficesports.com. Subscribe, tell your friends and your fantasy football league to subscribe. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.